Um, so we're going to get up in the morning and head to Tennessee for Thanksgiving week. Um, I love going to Tennessee. We love seeing family. Um, everything about Tennessee is great, but I will tell on my wife for just a moment. I see her raising her eyebrows back there. What is he about to say about me? There is one thing about Tennessee that drives my wife crazy that she can't stand. She knows what I'm about to say. Um, it's actually when you're in Tennessee with my family and you're driving around from place to place. You see, in Tennessee, there are no straight lines. Um, <laughs> and there's 53 different ways to get everywhere. Um, I was actually just checking Google Maps this week. I remember I worked at a, the mall at Sears, and it was exactly 10 miles from my house. And I could just think right now, just off the top of my head, this was 25 years ago. I could probably think of six different ways that I went home. Just I would just get in my car and go, hmm, which way am I going to go home today? I might just pick one. Just everything from the interstate to, you know, gravel. You know, just pick one over the river and through the woods. And... Um, because it's over hills and around hills and around hills and across creeks and it's, everything's curvy and windy, you know. You've got to go around a lot of stuff and um, lots of steep hills. And, and my family just has this thing where they never, they never take the same road twice. And so my wife never knows where she is when she goes to Tennessee. She's like, like if she was just ever dropped off somewhere, she just, she just wouldn't know what to do. She's been there how many times since she's just, I don't know how to get anywhere. Um, and little does she know, she's not been to where my mom moved to. And um, it's actually up a steeper hill and around a sharper curve than where she used to live. So even more fun is on her horizon. Um, but I, I, just, I just take it as a metaphor for life, right? Um, <laughs> nothing in life is a straight line. And there are 10 ways it seems to get everywhere, right? That, okay, that's a bad metaphor, sort of. But we're almost to the end of Ruth. Ruth has a really happy ending, right? Ruth, a woman of noble character, meets Boaz, a man of noble character. And it is a beautiful story of redemption and joy coming out of what appeared to be a hopeless situation. But at no point was it like a West Texas road, like where you can see 20 miles off into the horizon. No, it was an East Tennessee road. It was twisty and turny with lots of hills. And, you know, we've, we've watched enough TV in our time and we've seen enough big problems solved in 30 minutes with commercials right? <laughs> That's, we, we know that no matter what the people get into, you know, Gilligan may not get off the island, but whatever problem he's into, it'll be done in 20 minutes. It'll be solved, right? Just we know that's the way the sitcom works. That's the way TV works. You solve the problem, and then next week you'll just get a new one. It'll be solved, right? And just kind of we just have this thing in mind like, God will just God will take care of your problems, and and, and the, the difficulties won't last long. The road will straighten out, right? And and Ruth is just four short chapters, four little bitty chapters. But 
Ruth is like ten and a half years long. Cram a lot in four chapters, right? Um, so that's, it's a longer story than its four chapters would tell us. And there's a lot of difficulty and hope and heartache crammed into these four little chapters. And it's a story of redemption. And it's a story where Romans 15.4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So we see people endure and we are encouraged and we have hope. But hope doesn't always move in a straight line. Hope sometimes goes like this. And this may, this may sound crazy at first, but I'm going to unpack this as we go. Um, redemption does not always happen in a day. Not all of it. Not all of it. Um, I've, I've given this every year in my worldview class, my high school juniors and seniors, after we finish the story, um, I give them an assignment where they watch a movie and they look for the four pieces of the gospel story in that movie. And it's just really fun to see what movie they pick and how they write. They write a four-page paper and they tell me uh, the gospel from it because the, the gospel Bible story is made up of four pieces, right? You set it up, you mess it up, you fix it up, you wrap it up, right? That's every good movie. Um, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the gospel. And, every, and so I just always tell them, when you're watching, look for redemption. Like, like is there a... Is there a, a relationship that gets redeemed? Is there someone uh, who gets redeemed? Is there a situation that gets redeemed and, and, and saved? And, 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 and is there a price paid for that? And if it's a good movie, it's difficult, right? It's a twisty, windy thing. and That's what keeps you drawn in. So let's do a quick review. Chapter one, you, we realize we're in a story about immigrant widows one who has been dealt a bitter hand by God, lost her husband and two sons. But she has Ruth, who has lost her husband, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who is a Moabite, who will not leave her side, clings to her. Chapter 2, the clouds begin to part a little bit because Ruth finds a generous man named Boaz who lets her glean from his field right close to his harvesters, and she's just taking home large, large bags of barley, and she's, they are being well, well taken care of. And he's a close relative, so he might be the answer to a big problem. But we don't know yet, because there's two chapters left. Actually, I think I've already given it away. Sorry if you've not read Ruth and you don't know how this ends. I messed it up for you. Chapters 3 and 4, we're going to see redemption completed, accomplished. Um, but we start at the beginning of chapter 3 with, with signs of hope, signs of hope. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, interesting little word here. I must find a home for you. If you go back to chapter 1, when... Um, Ruth and her, other, with her, and her sister-in-law are following Naomi back to Judah. And Naomi says to them, okay, daughters, you, you, you turn around and go home now. Um, 
May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Hey, you guys are young. Go back home to your own people. Find a husband among your own people and find rest. Because if you go forward with me, it's not going to be restful. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Um, and one of them says, okay, and the other one says, no, and goes forward into a dark path of mystery, like we don't know what's ahead. That whole idea of find rest is what the exact same phrase that Naomi uses here. My daughter, I must find rest for you. In other words, we can't, we can't live the rest of, rest of our days with you going out and gleaning like a poor person in someone else's field. We can't, we can't keep living like this. Um, life needs to go well better for you. You need to be provided for. Then she says to her, Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and then he will tell you what to do. Now, first of all, just notice the hopefulness in Naomi. Um, I was telling Kelly this last night at supper. Um, only people with hope make plans, right? If you're hopeless, you don't make plans. You don't strategize. Um, Naomi had no plans before. Naomi is now making plans. <laughs> it starts with this. I don't know why. I cracked up at this week, all week. First part of the plan is, uh, Ruth, you need to get gussied up. Let's start by taking a shower. Um, <laughs> let's clean up a little bit. Put on some perfume. Put your smell on. Get smelling good. And then it says, get dressed in your best clothes. And this is, this is some interesting Hebrew wording here, which seems to be saying that Ruth was still wearing the clothes of a mourning widow. Like you would have looked at Ruth and said, oh, she's in mourning. And Naomi says, basically, it's time for you to put on your, your best clothes. It's time for you to appear to Boaz no longer as a mourning widow. In other words, take a shower, put some perfume on, and let Boaz know you're available now. <laughs> it's a great mother-in-law so far, right? All of this. Um, Go down to where he is, the threshing floor. So there's, there's going to be a place outside of town where the wind is going to be blowing and they're going to throw the barley, the wheat up in the air and the wind is going to blow out the chaff and the heavier barley will fall. So that's what they're going to do all day. And so there's going to be piles and piles of barley and the, the rest is going to be blown away. And they will spend the night there keeping an eye on their harvest. And she says just... Kind of keep an eye on him. Stay over around the edges. Don't let, don't let him see you. They're going to eat. They're going to drink. They're going to lie down just to kind of know where that is. Then go over and uncover his feet. Lay down. And then just let him take it from there. Okay. Now, realize what Naomi's doing here. Naomi knows that Boaz is a man of virtue and a man of honor. 
So she's going to let Ruth go down and put the ball in Boaz's court as a manner of honor and a man of virtue. She's going to, she's going to, Ruth is going to show up, washed up, cleaned up, smelling nice. And she's going to tell Ruth, just trust him. Just do what he says. Uncover his feet and lie down. And Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. So Boaz is feeling comfortable enough to sleep on a threshing floor, not so comfortable that he can't wake up and see what's going on in the night. Ruth approaches quietly. It says just exactly what mom says, uncovered his feet and lays down. Now, a little bit of controversy here. I hate to get into this. No children in the room, just checking, looking around here. Because some people say that Ruth did not uncover his feet. Some people say that Ruth uncovered him all the way up. Right. Um, just saying that, that, that this got very, very sensual, if you will. Because the word for feet in Hebrew is very, very similar to the Hebrew word for something else. So they're saying Boaz could have been uncovered more than just feet. Um, but let's get real here. He stayed asleep. Um, so she uncovers his feet. And we're going to see that that's what happened as the story progresses. And so she's laying at his feet. And I don't know what this would look like, perpendicular. I don't know what it looks like, but she's laying down at his feet. And at some point in the night, he, he's startled awake. He rolls over. And there's a woman lying there at his uncovered feet. And in the dark, right, there's no nightlight. Some street lamps coming through the window. It's dark. And he says, who are you? Woman laying at my feet. And she says, I'm Batman. No, she doesn't say that. She says, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> she says, I am your servant, Ruth. And listen to this. Now, remember what Naomi told her. Lay his feet and let him take it from there. And Ruth takes a little more initiative. No, excuse me. Ruth takes a lot more initiative than Naomi told her to. And then she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer of our family. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. I'm not going to say that, that she just proposed to him, but she came close, right? Like, you're the closest kin that we know, and um, this, this, this idea of spread the corner of your garment is actually the exact same word. You can, you can go backwards um, when when she was gleaning from his crops and she says to him, why have I found such favor in your eyes? How have you even noticed me? A foreigner, I'm, an, I'm a, a widow immigrant. Why are you being so good to me? And Boaz says to her, well, I've been told about you, Ruth. I've been told about how kind you have been to your mother-in-law. It says, 
I've been told about all you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with people that you didn't even know. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. And may you be strictly, excuse me, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, and listen to the word, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz looked at Ruth as a virtuous, honorable woman who had taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. When Ruth says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment, what she literally says is, take me under your wings. Exact same Hebrew phrase. So Boaz says, I look at you as the kind of girl taking refuge under the wings of the Lord. And she says, I look at you as the kind of man under whose wings I would love to take refuge. (laughs) And he says... Now, okay, so we're in the dark. She's laying there. Now, Naomi is trusting Boaz to be honorable. Now, Boaz has to look at Ruth one of two ways. Like, this could go sideways, or he can look at her as a woman of virtue of honor, which is what he does. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men. Remember we said Boaz is a little older than her, so this could be an awkward thing. Like the older guy can't just walk up, right? This this can be difficult for the older guy. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you what you have asked, all that you have asked. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. You, you are a virtuous woman. Everybody knows this. And then verse 12. There's, but, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I am. In other words, there's somebody in line for you ahead of me. Uh-oh. Now, remember this whole guardian redeemer thing means this, that if a man dies and he leaves a wife, there is a, a danger of that, that man's name coming to an end, which is definitely the danger here because not only did Elimelech die, both of his sons died. So where is his land going to go? Where is his name going to go? Well, an uncle, somebody would come in, the next nearest relative would come in, buy the land, marry the widow, and the name would continue on, and it would keep the widow. This was how God made sure that the widows just didn't become destitute and die. He made sure they were taken care of. But there was an order to this. There was the closest of kin, and Boaz is honest with her. There's somebody closer related to you than I am. But just stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Good? No, Boaz, that's not good. We want you to win. We like you. (laughs) Boaz wants to do the right thing. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Just lay here till the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me your shawl you're wearing. Hold it out. And when she did, he poured in six measures of barley, placed it on a bundle on her, and went back. 
You're not going home empty-handed. Tell Naomi, I said, hey, here's some barley. Ruth came to her mother-in-law. Naomi asked, how'd it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, and he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi, Naomi said these difficult words, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay, Naomi and Ruth, We're just going to sit here and wait because I know that Boaz will put this at the top of his to-do list for today and he will not rest until this is checked off his list. Okay, we'll just sit here and wait. And then at the end of verse, chapter 3, verse 18, you go to chapter 4, but I guess there was like an intermission at the theater when they played this. So everybody went to the lobby. And so so then it comes to chapter 4. The scene shifts to the, the, the town gate where everybody does business and there's Boaz sitting at the town gate and he sat down just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. He sits down, here comes the guy, the closest kin. And Boaz says, come over here, friend, sit down. We need to talk. So the guy goes over and sits down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. So we, we've, obviously something's going down. We got 10 elders and this next kin. Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, he could have said right here, but you know what? It's like on the side of a hill, and it's covered in rocks. You wouldn't want it. It's an awful piece of land. I'll be glad to buy it. No, he says, but I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. In the presence of everyone seated here, in the presence of these seated here, in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. And then the guy says something absolutely horrible. I'll redeem it. No, you will not. Yes, he will. And Boaz says, (laughs) this is great. Well, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Oh, by the way, a woman comes with the property, and you're going to marry her. (laughs) Interesting he didn't say that first, right? At this, the guardian redeemer said, oh, then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. In other words, if I start bringing in here and we have more kids and I've got my kids, I don't know, that, that might mess up my whole inheritance. Just go ahead and redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Yes. This is what we were looking for, right? And then verse 7, this this wonderful little tradition. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property could become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. We've got an accountant here. Do they still do this? No, they do not. Okay, just making sure. Like, I don't know. Does he get the sandal back, or is there a guy walking through town with one sandal, and everybody goes, oh, he must have made a big transaction. He's missing a shoe. (laughs) That's just crazy. I love this. It's just kind of a way of of saying, I'm giving you something important. I'm not going to want, I don't want, 
my shoe, right? Um, and the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, by yourself, he removed his sandal. And Boaz announced to the elders, they're all sitting there, today you are witnesses that I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And he makes it sound so official, right? You know, his heart's racing at this moment. This is like, you realize what he's doing. He's getting his marriage license. So that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are the witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Where did the 12 tribes of Israel come from? Rachel and Leah. They're asking a big blessing. But they're not done. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Not only that, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Jerish. Lots of sons. May you have lots of kids. They're like wanting this to go really, really well. They're offering a huge blessing. So, scene shifts. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. We missed a little there, I guess. He made love to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive, which apparently she was not able to do with her first husband. And she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, look, look at this. This is very fascinating. You remember, Naomi came back and all the women are in town. We're like, hey, Naomi's back, Naomi's back. Now all the women in town are saying to Naomi, it doesn't say to Ruth, it says to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who is this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Wait a minute, I thought this was about Ruth. Well, who's going to take care of Naomi? Obviously, Boaz and Ruth are going to take care of Naomi. May he become famous throughout Israel. Who? The baby or Boaz? He seems to actually be talking about the child, which we will see. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons. Any daughter-in-laws in the room? Better to you than seven sons. <laughs> Ladies, elbow your men right now. Okay. <laughs> better to you than seven sons has given him birth. This is so beautiful. Look at this. Then Naomi took the child in her arms, her grandson, and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Not Ruth, Naomi. Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. Oh, and here's where it's beautiful. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Man, that's great. And then there's a genealogy, and Alan Bryant will do the genealogy next week, which doesn't sound very exciting. Alan Bryant gets the genealogy. But Alan Bryant has a message next week called The Ripple Effects of a Woman's Faith, and it's going to be really cool because he's going to go from Ruth to Jesus and show how this all fits together. Okay, let me finish this up. Um, this is a story of redemption, and it, and it fits into a bigger story than a bigger story than a, a bigger story, right? Um, and it's a picture of the bigger story, right? A capital S story. In, in the capital S story, we know every tear will be wiped away when Jesus restores it all and makes all things new. But here, 
every redemption story like this still has a little bit of a, I'd say incomplete, but there's still like a little, um, I guess that's the word, right? Like, take Naomi. We, we missed something here, right? Look at, look at her. It, it amazes me that they ended the story back with Naomi. Like, can you picture a happier ending? The women living there said Naomi has a son. Now, can you see her holding her grandson? Can you see the smile on her face? Can you hear her praising God for how he has taken such good care of her back when just that short time before she had said, call me Mara, not Naomi, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Don't call me Naomi. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Right, it wasn't that long before but that she was calling herself bitter, empty, afflicted, misfortunate. And now she's sitting with a smile on her face holding her grandson. The Lord has brought her this circuitous route to this. At the same time, Naomi is still a widow. Naomi still doesn't have her two sons, right? Along with the praise, can you imagine a tear in her eye as she says to the little baby, I wish you could have met your grandfather. Now, I'm not trying to be a bummer. I'm not trying to run a great story, but (laughs) I'm just trying to show that every joy and every grief, every smile, every tear, they all have a context in a bigger story that God is writing. Every redemption story on this side of the end has this mixture of pain and joy. And Ruth follows the poor four parts, right? We set it up, then it got messed up, then it got fixed up, and then it gets wrapped up with a genealogy. But that's just a small picture of the next big picture, the next big picture that I read earlier from Psalm 30, where it says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full, what? redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from their sins. So just like Boaz is a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, that is a picture that the Lord is the redeemer for Israel. As a matter of fact, if you want to find this phrase about spreading your garment, the corner of your garment, you can go over to Ezekiel and find this phrase where God is describing Israel as his chosen bride, and he, he describes them as this poor young lady that he chose, and it says, I just spread the corner of my garment over you. Right? So it's an amazing thing that when you get to the New Testament that marriage is a picture of the love of Christ for the church, but here we have Boaz and Ruth, are a, this, this redemption story is a picture of God's redemption of Israel. 
And even that is a story within a story. When you get to Romans 3, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets all testify going forward there. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Jew and Moabite. (laughs) For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ gives redemption. And yet, Romans 8 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to the present time. Not only so, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies in this hope we were saved, right? Ephesians 1 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But Ephesians 1 also says that when you're believed, you're marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption. We are sealed to the day of redemption. So we have redemption while we wait for redemption. (laughs) So we get purchased by Jesus. He is our redeemer by his blood. Having been redeemed, we are in this twisty, turny, winding over the hill, around the hill, over the creek, winding joy, grief, gladness, sadness story that is making its way to all the nations, the redemption story of Jesus, and some day it will be completed with the restoration, the redemption of all creation. So, while having been redeemed, we still hope. And that's what a good story does. A good story helps you hope. And when there's tears, you have the same hope. When there's laughter, you have the same hope. When there's grief and bitterness and darkness ahead, you have the hope. When there's desire fulfilled and joy and a a prayer answered, same hope. Because in the story of redemption, it's just twisty-windy and all mixed together. One day, um, finished. Every good story points to the story. And we're in the story waiting for completion. Will you, will you take a moment and pray with me that we would just kind of have this kind of vision and this kind of hope? Would you join me in that? Lord, thank you for stories that give us hope. Thank you for stories that encourage us to keep hoping, to keep planning, to keep moving forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood. We sang about your blood. We sing about your blood. You have redeemed us. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters would rejoice, rejoice in the gift of redemption that we receive with open hands. It is good to be your purchased possession. It is good to be sealed with the Spirit, till the day when redemption is complete. Lord, we 
pray that you'd give us vision to see where we are in the story, to see that we are here for the nations to hear about the story. Lord, one day, all the tears on this side of the story are going to be wiped away. And it's going to be joy and gladness in your presence. We have no such expectation now, but we do hope. But Lord, help us to live out this story well. And help us to live it for the nations. Thank you for Ruth. Thank you for her story. Thank you for the ripple effects of her story. We'll see you next week, Lord. And um, just encourage my brothers and sisters with this, God. In Jesus' name.